Welcome back to In the Queue, film conversations with Andrew and Phil. I am your co-host, Phil, and as this movie began, these words were echoing in my mind. All I had was my boy, and they took him from me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you get me. Yeah, yeah, I get you. You get my meaning. Well, I am your co-host, Andrew, and... Uh, I love a film that starts out with a good fluid master. Well, it's a shame that it devolved into what it devolved <laughs> into. Oh, and the hand is tipped. Oh, no. We are talking about the latest James Bond film entitled Spectra, um, starring <laughs> Dan- Daniel Craig in his fourth excursion as James Bond. And last. That's by all accounts. Yeah, that's right. James Bond will return, but it won't be Daniel Craig next time. Yeah. 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 But if you stayed with the very end credits, though, the very last thing it says on screen is James Bond will return. Yes. Before we talk about Spectre in any greater depth, though, I want to tell you all out there where you can find us on the web. Mm-hmm. You can go to our blog at www.in-the-q, that's the letter q.com. On our mm-hmm. blog, you can find all of our shows, you can leave comments, you can leave listener requests for movies you would like us to review. Boom. Yes. Then yes. there's also Facebook. Just search Facebook for In The Q. Q is spelled Q-U-E-U-E. And there you'll find our page and all you can like us and then all of our posts will populate your feed. Uh, once again, the post, True. The, the episodes are there. You can leave comments and listener requests. Also, we post videos and other things that kind of supplement the discussion that we happen to be having that particular time. Mm-hmm. And lastly, we are on iTunes. So subscribe to us on iTunes in the queue, Q-U-E-U-E, and all of our shows will be delivered to you toot sweet. Indeed. One more thing, though. We are also on Twitter, which I want to encourage everybody out there who tweets uh, follow us. Our handle is at ITQ Podcast. Yes, I always forget about mentioning that when I do my introduction. Kind of a newish thing. We haven't been doing it. I'll grant you clemency. <clears throat> Thank you. I appreciate that. Your your pity is much appreciated. Thank you. I thought you were going to call me Your Holiness for a second there. Uh, I was not. Okay. So <laughs> Spectre is. The second James Bond film directed by Sam Mendes, who I will always associate with American Beauty. Of course. And perhaps... Or Road to Perdition. No, I would say American Beauty, although I like Road to Perdition. Yes. I, I, but don't you feel American Beauty is his, his ultimate achievement? I would say so. I would say so. Yeah. He was a famous stage director prior to making American Beauty. Indeed he was. Uh but, yeah, he'll probably always be best known for that film. That is, in fact, the movie that he won an Oscar for. Or that's, <clears throat> it is. Uh, not to say that the Oscar is the be-all, end-all that a filmmaker can uh, receive, but it's pretty nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, Spectre uh, begins with a fluid master uh, in the middle of the Day of the Dead celebration in Mexico City. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a stunning sequence. Um it really the is. The camera follows these people around, and you don't know who's who because they're wearing masks uh, at first. You, you know, it's, you kind of have to guess. And then eventually, um, 
we realize that one of the people that we're following is in fact James Bond and he is uh, tracking somebody. Um, he actually was not uh, supposed to go to Mexico City. He was on what's known as a rogue mission. He was not mm -hmm. obeying orders by his superiors. Um, but while he's there, uh, he gathers information that leads him to the funeral of a criminal, which is taking place in Rome. Mm -hmm. And in Rome, he meets the widow of the criminal named Lucy, Lucia, I guess is how you would say it. Yeah, uh, Lucia yeah. played by Monica Bellucci. The wonderful Monica Bellucci. The wonderful, wonderful actress. And uh, while he encounters her and is in Rome, he uncovers the existence of a sinister organization known as Spectre. Mm -hmm. And so what's happening back in London, though, is there is some changes being made in the, uh, the, you know, the team of people who support Bond, that would be, you know, M, Q, Moneypenny. Um, there's a new head of, of national security who's coming in. His name is Max, and he is shaking things up and questioning the, the necessity of the double O program. Yeah, and, and more importantly, unifying all of British intelligence nay, even world intelligence under one mm. surveillance banner. Right, right. And that's basically the setup for Spectra. Um, I don't want to... I could just call it Spectra. <laughs> uh, that's the setup for Spectra. I don't want to give away too much. Um, although it is a very plot-heavy film. It's a lengthy, two-and-a-half-hour, densely yeah. plotted film. A lot of dialogue um, outlining the plot and explaining everything. It was very talky. It was. I have never been a fan of James Bond films. Oh. Never. And I think I've probably seen maybe one or two of them in their entirety. Until I saw wow. until I saw Casino Royale. <clears throat> yeah, which is extraordinary. Yeah, I liked Casino Royale and I thought Skyfall was was fine. But this particular story, it you know, it, it doesn't always thrill me. But it really doesn't thrill me when there's nothing thrilling going on. Oh, now, oh boy. There, yeah. there are a, a few, I would say, set pieces in Spectre that are genuinely thrilling. And, and any fan of, of filmmaking would really enjoy them. And the, the opening scene at Mex in Mexico City is, is one of them because it is just so elegantly done. And and it's original too. It's not the kind of thing that you know. How many how many action movies have you seen where there's a set piece that takes place in Day of the Dead? Not many. Not many. Not many. The only Day of the Dead centered film I could think of is Under the Volcano, and that is by no means an exciting action film. No. Unless no. you think watching Albert Finney drink himself to death is exciting. <laughs> I personally do not. Oh dear. Um, yeah, but. Uh, the villain of Spectre is Christoph Waltz. Um, he plays Blofeld, which I was a little bit confused being a novice to a, 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 a sort of novice to this franchise. Yeah. I mean, IMDb is saying that Spectre is the follow-up to You Only Live Twice from 1967, and Blofeld is a character from the 1960s, so how is he back in this present? Well... 
here's the thing. Blofeld was played by Donald Pleasance. Yeah. In that film, and was the inspiration for Doctor Evil in Austin Powers. Actually, Lorne Michaels was the inspiration for Doctor Evil. Not it. Well, the visual <laughs> inspiration was Blofeld. The mannerisms, perhaps, okay. were right. uh, Lorne Michaels. Um, also, they sort of look alike in a way. In a Without way. hair, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. I. I don't know. You said that this is supposed to be a follow-up to that. I'm not sure that that makes. I'm just telling you what it says. Let me just sense me just confirm this um, on IMDb. Well, <clears throat> needless to say, they're recycling elements. I mean, this is this is a little bit of what we got in Skyfall when they brought back Money Penny, who had been missing for quite a long time from the Bond universe, or at least through the uh, through the. Daniel Craig gears, although I can't remember if there was a money penny in the the Pierce Brosnan films. Not that I really care that much; they were terrible. But uh, <laughs> Pierce Brosnan also slammed Spectre in the press too. Really, yeah, he said that it was it was weak. I think that he's right. Yeah, uh, not to tip my hand too much, <laughs> but this I, I thought that this was an over. It was. It was over-plotted. You, you, you mentioned that it was very heavily plotted. Yeah. I think it was over-plotted. I think it was uh, done to death. One of my friends that I was talking with after the film said that it basically – what he realized while watching this, and I, I tend to concur, is that it had been this, – this was essentially a return to making a classical-type Bond film. Uh-huh. In the in the vein of the Roger Moore and Sean Connery Bond films, which were, when you look at them now, are pretty ridiculous movies. They're fun to be sure, but they're ridiculous. I mean, they're insane. Yeah, they're absolutely bonkers films. <laughs> and of course, Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace and uh, Skyfall had made a return to kind of a more uh, grounded Bond, mm-hmm. um, even. When in the case of, for instance, Quantum of Solace, they weren't particularly good films. Right. It was a more grounded Bond. It wasn't like there were spectacular set pieces that were improbable, but it wasn't absurd. You know, people holding the world ransom for the, you know, mm-hmm. nuclear codes or whatever. Um, or, you know, we're going to build a laser on the moon. Right. <laughs> um, that hey, you stuff. know, that could still happen. It could still happen. But uh, but essentially, the tropes have been, become so familiar to us, this is what my friend was saying, that, uh, that Austin Powers, in making fun of those tropes and in making light of those uh, and in lampooning those tropes, uh, when we now return to those tropes, we understand how ridiculous they all are because it's, it's been ridiculed already in in a spectacular comedy, right? So uh, having this film be that sort of densely plotted old school Bond film with all of this ridiculous stuff, I thought did the franchise a great disservice. Uh And additionally, I thought it just, it ended up being ridiculous. Well, when the movie was over, I turned to my friend that I had gone to see the movie with and we were just... We were aghast because we like Christoph Waltz 
in my mind, was like born to play a Bond villain, <laughs> right? Yeah. He's got the voice, he's got the mannerisms, he's got, you know, it's like it's like built into his DNA. Yeah, he could be a great Bond villain, but how do you get Christoph Waltz for your movie and then give him nothing to do? He has and and make him non-threatening in any way. He amounts to a extended cameo in this movie. I feel. And yeah. and yeah, he he really does. His kudos to to the actor though for for understanding that he ha, he has no threat over James Bond, but yeah. he plays it in a very menacing way. Uh, just the way he has these you know moments of of dialogue, uh, like he just kind of he chews the scenery appropriately, but there is also that matter of. Uh, Initially, Bond and and then the this the Bond girl for this film played by Leia Seydoux, who I think is wonderful. Um, they they we'll, escape. We'll, we'll have to have that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll bring it on. Um, uh, they they escape from uh, Blofeld's uh, lair, basically, it's like yeah. in the in yeah. the desert, and it and there's this comically. Uh, massive explosion <laughs> it's it's just funny because it's like one thing blows up then another then another then everything blows up then everything after that blows up and it's like okay who nobody could possibly survive this blast and then yeah. later on we see Blofeld and he's got one like scar over his eye yeah um, and it he just uh, I don't know I think that I, I don't know what would constitute like a better Bond villain. I mean, obviously, Christoph Waltz is a is a a small in stature figure. I mean, he's not he's yeah. not a physically imposing. He doesn't need to be though. All he needs to be is imposing in the the design of his entrapment of Bond, or imposing in the power that he has over him, or the imposing in some manner that they completely fail to get in this film. Batista. Who we know more recently from playing Drax in Guardians of the Galaxy, right. uh, he's considerably more imposing in this film. Yeah, I thought he than yeah. than uh, Blofeld ever gets to be. Well, I saw, I thought what they were going for is that Blofeld is the puppet master. Yeah, but then show him actually pulling the strings instead of just like hanging out in like a a, a shady conference room with a bunch of weirdos. And then, like flying in a helicopter, sometimes. Yeah. I mean that. I mean that was the extent of his characterization. He he had nothing to work with. I, I I found it to be so bizarre. And additionally, and here's where you and I may disagree. I thought that Leia Seydoux was just a couldn't have been more wrong a choice for a Bond girl. I That's thought, funny. I thought that her performance was. I mean, she's been in some excellent films. She was in Blue is the Warmest Color, which is sort of her breakout role. She was in Inglorious Bastards in a very small role. Um, she is a very capable actress. But in this film, I felt like she was just... She was trying to play... She was trying to play the characterization of a Bond girl rather than playing a real character. Um, and I use, for instance, Ava Green in Casino Royale as mm-hmm. sort of a template for this who is brought back in photograph form and occasional flashback form in this film um they reference everybody from all of the the craig 
Bond films. Yeah, that was it. That was um, an interesting touch. I thought it was weird. Yeah. I it's because they're trying to bring it to a close, which I, I don't think was entirely successful either. The way that they tried to bring it all to a close, I think, was kind of ham-fisted and weak. Yeah. Uh, but but Leia Seydoux, I I thought was she was serviceable. She was fine. She's beautiful, which is of course a prerequisite of being a Bond girl. Well, then, but what is it about her that is not Bond girl material? I just don't find her convincing, and especially if she's going to be the person to finally like win James Bond's heart and allow him to settle down. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if that's sort of the idea of why she's so important to him and why it matters when she gets inevitably kidnapped in this film and strapped to a chair with a bomb, mm-hmm. ready to go off. You know, like I mean, this is. Uh, I should say spoiler alerts for people, but I, I don't think that any of this is going to come as a surprise. It's this is as Bond a Bond film as they've they've had in quite a while, mm. um, meaning that it's it's entirely predictable, uh, which isn't a bad thing necessarily. Bond is what it is, but we I think we've become accustomed to such a different kind of Bond film over the last three movies that. Uh, that the expectations were set up differently. So her being this sort of, was it just to- totally black? Like, okay. like she was just very, it, it didn't seem to me like they were in love or like they even really were interested or cared about each other. They just kind of existed next to each other and looked good walking down the street together. Like that was the extent of the involvement. So you, and that you feel like they didn't of, have any chemistry. Oh, I feel like they had zero chemistry. Whereas in Casino Royale, I felt like Ava Green and Daniel Craig had intense chemistry, and it was wonderful. Mm. Um, well, maybe I'm just partial to Leia do. Um, well, I can understand that, but not on not on the basis of her performance in this movie, I hope. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, it seems weird to think of somebody turning in a performance in a Bond film, though, you know? Yeah, except that we've seen it. Like honestly, like look at the last movie. Look at Javier Bardem in Skyfall, uh-huh. or Judy Dench in Skyfall. Like turning in just like killer, very considered, serious performances in a a ridiculous Bond movie. Right? That's it can be done, and it should be done. And and to to his credit, Daniel Craig in all of these movies. One of the hallmarks of Daniel Craig as Bond, and one of the reasons that some people consider him to be the best Bond, even some people uh, say better than Connery, mm-hmm. is because he has such a more introspective, grounded sort of real, like tortured Bond, right? A Bond who actually thinks about his actions and uh-huh. realizes the consequences of them and has some sort of moral internal moral conflict about it, right? And that's what was set um, up in Casino Royale. That's what was set up in Casino Royale and again in Skyfall. I mean, that's the whole that whole subplot about M and them trying to get to M is that's it's it's all because of Bond, right? And that's it's got a really intense that's Javier Barnum's character is so sort of menacing because he's saying everything, all of these bad things that are happening are because of decisions that you are making mm-hmm. James Bond and that you have made in the past. And it beca- it's, it's a very personal Bond film. It's almost a character study of a Bond film, Skyfall. Yeah. And 
And that was wonderful. And then this is just like going back to just like stupid, ridiculous. I mean, it's like this is a almost a travel log, which I don't mind. Again, this is a Bond trope that is just it's part of the universe, and I'm fine with that. But uh, you know, to to have, for instance, this ridiculous uh, recovery clinic that's on the top of a mountain inside a glass building that's also a ski resort, like where he's he's having this bizarre conversation with Leia Seydoux, and she's a doctor and like it just doesn't it's just absurd it stretches the limits of credulity and i i can't i can't understand it yeah well the parts that i did like though uh other than the mexico city uh opening there's a there's a really great balls out knuckle fight with a batista on a moving train that is great and I was just. Dis- in fact, I would say all of the action sequences are fantastic in this film. Yeah, well, yeah, but there's some that stand out for me more than others. Um, but yeah. My, yeah, the car the car chase was not that great. Yeah, my my main problem though is is with the overtly um, talkiness and the the fact that yeah. you know this movie was. I think this is kind of uncommon for a film to have four screenwriters. Uh, but I yeah, feel like yeah. that's where I would sort of point to um, because I think maybe that these guys, they, they got too caught up with trying to tell the story, trying to make it all plot driven. And and I realized as I was watching this movie that like 15 minutes or what seemed like 15 minutes had passed and there was just nothing but talking and there was no action. I'm like, well, isn't that what James Bond movies are about? Is about this hair raising action sequences. Um and what I was saying earlier, um, just on a side note, if you were to go to the trivia page for this film on IMDb, you will be spending the better part of November going through everything because they have a huge, huge scrolling list of all this trivia, which all looks really fascinating. But um, Spectre and Blofeld were represented in, in earlier Bond films, um, Diamonds Are Forever and You Only Live Twice. So that was my confusion as as far as what what is the remake aspect of Spectre? I think they're just bringing it back into the new Bond universe, like right? A, they're a bringing reboot. it back. Well, I think that the reason that they did that was because they needed something to tie together everything in the Bond in the Craig Bond universe. Uh-huh. And they saw Spectre as an easy way to be able to just take all of the characters from the previous three movies and be like, see, everything was connected. Even though they don't really explain how everything was connected. They just show, like, there's a uh, sequence where he's walking down this long hallway with all these cells. And in each cell is a photograph of Javier Bardem and Ava Green. Yeah. and Le Chiffre. Le Chiffre. Like, it's all the way down and you're just like, okay. And then... Uh, uh, Christoph Waltz Blofeld mutters something about like we've been pulling the strings the whole time and I'm like okay but how <laughs> how did you organize all of that and yeah. he's like all of the all of the women like we killed them we made you fall in love with them and then killed them and I'm like how and why and to what end like what what is yeah what is your logic? Like there was no logic. It was just kind of like, oh, we need to tie this together. We need to put a nice little bow on the Craig Bond years. Let's let's just 
cram something in here. I see. And hope that it gets digested easily and people don't think about it. Yeah, ho- hopefully people will just go, oh, Spectre, that's a big organization. They have power to do those sorts of things. What sorts of things we're talking about? Let's hope that people don't ask. <laughs> it reminds me of uh, Prometheus and how disappointing that was. Oh, God, yeah. Um, yeah, well, I guess to sum up, I don't really recommend it. Um, if you're a James Bond completist, if you're a big fan of Daniel Craig, then yeah, you'll probably want to see this in the theater. Um, yeah. And it was shot on 35mm film, which I totally respect. It looks good. Um, but yeah, I saw it I saw it in the IMAX uh, in Midtown Manhattan, or on the Upper West Side, rather. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, it was truly impressive to watch it on a big screen like that. I mean, it's it's a lot of fun. Mm. Uh, but it's not... Uh, you know, it wasn't shot on 70mm. It wasn't shot on IMAX film. Right. So, uh, if you're seeing it on a big screen, it's more than enough. Yeah. I saw it on a plain old normal, non-IMAX, non-3D setup. Um, and I actually had to sit like in like the fifth row. I never sit that close. Oh yeah, that's killer. Yeah, but then I just kind of adjusted, you know. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, my, when we saw Crimson Peak, I was in the second row, and it was rough. My my visual acuity just kind of uh, shifted, and I was able to not die. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Yeah, that's a that's a definite plus. Well, that's our show. Um, or, you... Yeah. Well, I was gonna say I I recommend the film not necessarily to everybody but to bond fans to action fans i think it'll be a sufficient sufficiently enjoyable i don't think it's bad i don't think it's out and out bad i mean i'm the way i'm talking about it might make it sound like that but uh i think sam mendes is a more than capable director i think they do what they can with the screenplay that they've got there's just a lot of inconsistencies and weird things that happen in this film and it just it doesn't resolve particularly well. It's 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 dissatisfying. Mm. It's not. It does not leave you feeling like they pulled this together for a good close to the Daniel Craig years. Mm. Um, I would I would much rather have they have ended on something like Skyfall. <laughs> yeah, well, some pointed criticism from Andrew. Mm. Um, I guess. I don't know. If you're going to see this movie, if you're a James Bond fan, yeah, I would concur with Andrew. Go see it. Um, but if you're not really a convert to the James Bond franchise, you yeah. know, no, no pressure. You know, yeah, you don't, no pressure. You, you can watch something else. Yeah. Um, stay tuned for our next episode. It's going to be another listener's choice. We're going to have Liz back on the program to talk about the award-winning German film The Nasty Girl. Yes. Stay tuned for that. 